0: What's up? This is Jonathan Smith, your host here at Shooting the Schmitz. Got a really good podcast planned out for you today. Going to be a really good show. Starting it off, we're going to talk NFL and who needs a new roommate. And then we're going to get into a little bit of NBA stuff. We're going to talk about one of the biggest surprises of this NBA season. And then we're going to finish it off with, of course, the new college football playoff rankings. Got a loaded show for you. It's going to be really good. Hope you enjoy it. Here we go. 13 of the NFL season is quickly approaching. Obviously, Thursday Night Football tonight. Bills, Pats should be a good game. Buffalo, only favored by three and a half there. That'll be interesting. Sunday, though, we got a few good games. Dolphins taking on the 49ers. The first really good test for Tua in this offense, taking on one of the best defenses in the league. In the 49ers, we got Packers, Bears. going to be interesting to see if it's Jordan Love or Aaron Rodgers playing quarterback. We got the Commanders and the Giants. The Commanders favored in that one by two and a half going to be a really good weekend. Broncos-Ravens, Seahawks-Rams, chiefs Bengals. that one's going to be a lot of fun. Chargers-Raiders, that one will be good. Just a lot of good games this week that are going to be just really fun, I think, for all of us to watch. But I don't want to talk to you too much about the upcoming games this weekend. I want to talk about something more – I wouldn't say more important, something that I think I enjoy talking about a little bit more, though, and that is this upcoming NFL draft. Okay, and it's time to see – Who needs a new roommate? Okay, Jonathan, what do you mean? By roommate, I just mean quarterback. That's pretty much all I mean. So here are the list of teams who we know without a doubt will be drafting a quarterback this upcoming NFL draft. All right, and that is the Colts, the Houston Texans, the Washington Commanders, the Carolina Panthers, the New Orleans Saints, and the Seattle Seahawks. I think all of them are going to look to be drafting a new quarterback. Obviously, draft placement and things like that matter. And then I've got my list of teams here who I think would like a new quarterback, and that is the New York Jets if they decide to not roll with Mike White for their future. Uh, New York Giants, you know Daniel Jones, really solid guy, but you can definitely improve there. I think the Titans would like to move on from Ryan Tannehill at some point. May not be this year, but at the same time, they did draft Malik Willis last year, so we'll see what they end up doing. Uh, The Raiders, I believe, are going to move on from Derek Carr this offseason. The Lions are looking to move off of Jared Goff. And Atlanta, like Marcus Mariota, you've had a good year. You've done a good job. But you're a bridge guy, not a franchise guy. So, with that being said, here are the quarterbacks that are going to be available in this upcoming NFL draft. Here are the big four. Bryce Young, quarterback at Alabama. Will Levis, quarterback at Kentucky. I don't understand that one. But every mock draft I read seems to really, really like him. Don't know why, but they do. Third, C.J. Stroud, starting quarterback at Ohio State. He's probably my favorite guy. Big. Big arm, can move. I really like him. And then finally, Handon Hooker, quarterback at Tennessee. I know he tore his ACL, but I still think that he's going to be highly touted just because big arm, accurate, uh, has had a really good college career. So those are like the big four. And then there's a few guys kind of on a lower level. Some of these guys may come back to college for another year. Other guys, maybe not. Uh, DJ Ugalele, the starting quarterback at Clemson. Tanner McKee, starting quarterback at Stanford. Anthony Richardson, hopefully he goes back for another year at Florida. But we'll see what he does. These guys, they love to leave early. Anyway. And then finally, Spencer Rattler. He may go back to South Carolina for another year. He may declare for the draft. Either way, these are kind of the eight top guys who are really going to draw eyes in this upcoming NFL draft. And here's what I think. I think that all of these a quarterback teams, Indianapolis, Houston, Washington, Carolina, New Orleans, and Seattle, No matter where they are at in the first round, they should take a quarterback. Simple as that. You know, all these other teams, the would like a quarterback, but don't necessarily need one category. If you're in a position to draft a guy that you really like, I say take him. But if not, you know, address another need. But look, if you're in this need a quarterback category, you need to take one in the first round, no matter what. Because let's be honest here. When we look at the history of the NFL draft, it doesn't matter if you have the first pick and you take a quarterback. Or you have the 17th pick and you take a quarterback? Or you have the 32nd pick and you take a quarterback? It's an absolute crapshoot, okay? A little over half the time it hits. Doesn't matter where you take him at. Lamar Jackson, 32nd pick, he hit. Patrick Mahomes, the 11th pick, he hit. Uh, Joe Burrow, the number one overall pick, he hit. Tua, Tua Tagovailoa, the fifth overall pick, he hit. Doesn't really matter where you take guys at. Ultimately, it doesn't because at the end of the day, it's a crapshoot and we can sit here and we can say that we know who's going to be good and who's not, but at the end of the the day, we don't really know who's going to be good, right? And so when we look at quarterbacks drafted in the first round, I went all the way back. I've been deep diving all week. Went all the way back from the 2010 draft all the way up to the 2020 draft and looked at every single quarterback drafted in the first round, okay? And I went back and I looked at him. I was like, who's a bust and who isn't? Because that's ultimately like what, what we're trying to figure out here, okay? So I believe that quarterbacks drafted in the first round fall into one of three categories, okay? There are bad roommates, there are acceptable roommates, and then there's I want to live with this guy again next year. Those are the three categories, okay? Bad roommates, the ones who don't pick up after themselves, they're nasty, they're loud really late at night, they don't really care for you in your personal space, they're just kind of all over the place, and you're like, I'm not living with him next year, I can't do it, Right? then your decent roommate is, you know, maybe he doesn't always do the dishes. Maybe he leaves the oven mitts out. Maybe he leaves pizza in the sink from time to time. Ultimately, though, it's like, this guy isn't bad. If I can't find a better roommate for next year, I will willingly live with this guy again. And then, obviously, the awesome roommate is the I'm definitely living with this guy again. The guy who always does the dishes. The guy who willingly takes out the trash. The guy who respects you and the fact that you have to be up at 6 o'clock tomorrow morning because you have work. That guy. Right. That's a guy you, without a doubt, want to not only to not only live with again next year, but you want to better yourself so that he wants to live with you, too. Right. Those are our three categories. And when we look back from the 2010 draft all the way up till now, there have been 27 bad roommates, 27 busts in terms of first round quarterbacks drafted. Okay, here we go. I'm going to quickly run through them because it's 27 names. You won't even know most of them. Paxton Lynch, Jamarcus Russell, Brady Quinn, Jake Locker, Johnny Manziel, Josh Rosen, Dwayne Haskins, Tim Tebow, E.J. Manuel, Brandon Whedon, Matt liner, Christian Ponder, J.P. Losman, Patrick Ramsey, Blaine Gabbert, Kyle Bowler, David Carr, Joey Harrington, Josh Freeman, Jason Campbell, RG3, Blake Bortles, Sam Darnold, Mitch Trubisky, Byron Lefwitch and Rex Grossman. 27 bus. Now maybe you know you can argue with me on some of them I'm like oh like these guys are backups. Look, if you get drafted in the first round, the expectation is not for you to be a backup. If you get drafted in the first round of the NFL draft and you are a career long backup, you are a bust. Okay? Teams don't waste that dra- that valuable draft capital to have a guy ride the bench for 15 years. That's not why they do it, okay? You draft backup quarterbacks in the 5th, 6th and 7th round not in the first, not with the 12th overall pick, not with the 32nd overall pick, doesn't matter. You draft guys that you want to play quarterback for you for a long time in the first round. Simple as that. And all 27 of those guys did not do that. And then there have been 17 decent roommates. You know, 17, like, he's not bad. If I can find, you know, a better roommate, I'm going to take advantage of that. But ultimately, I can live with this, I can live with this guy again next year. And here are those guys. Marcus Mariota, Vince Young, Teddy Bridgewater, Jameis Winston, Sam Bradford, Mark Sanchez, Ryan Tannehill, Baker Mayfield, Chad Pennington, Jay Cutler, Carson Palmer, Alex Smith, Jared Goff, Joe Flacco, Carson Wentz, Tua, Tua Tugavailoa, and Daniel Jones. 17 of them. Okay? So 17. So, so far we're – I got to do math. I should have written this down beforehand. 17 plus 27. That's, what, 44? Right? We're, we're 44 quarterbacks into this. Right? Ah! Ah! Yeah, we're 44 quarterbacks into this, 27 of them, absolute bust. You don't want to see him again, 17 of them, formidable. And then I have 16 stars, 16 guys that you want to live with, okay? 16 guys that you want to run your franchise, 16 guys that you want at the head of your offense for the next 15 years. These guys are Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Kyler Murray, Josh Allen, Andrew Luck, Deshaun Watson, Matthew Stafford, Michael Vick, Eli Manning, Cam Newton, Matt Ryan, Lamar Jackson, Philip Rivers, Big Ben, Patrick Mahomes, and Aaron Rodgers. Now, some of those guys may be like, oh, like I don't really like, you know, Cam Newton like that. Maybe you dropping down. Either way, we have a total of thirty-three quarterbacks drafted in the first round over the you know past long time um, that you would say are worth it. 33 to 27 guys you don't. Ultimately, it's a crapshoot because all these guys are drafted in different spots. Some of these guys were the number one overall pick. Some of these guys were drafted 15th. Some of these guys were drafted 31st. Some of them were drafted 2nd, right? Ultimately, we do not know, okay? And we can sit here and we can say whatever we want about Bryce Young and Will Lewis and CJ Stroud and Hendon Hooker, but ultimately no one knows. Now, do we think that we know? Of course, right? Like these scouts get paid tons of money, to sit there and tell you that they know who's good and who isn't. Same thing with GMs. But ultimately, as as these numbers prove, we don't know. A little over 50%, right? That's what, 33 over 60, right? Yeah. Right, so that's, that's 55%. 55% of quarterbacks drafted in the first round over the past, I don't know, tw- 25 years or whatever. Fifty-five percent of the quarterbacks drafted in the first round over the past twenty-five years or fifteen years, excuse me, I, I can do math, I promise. Fifty-five <laughs> percent of them have been at have been at least decent, right? But only sixteen of them, only sixteen of them, have been like one hundred percent would do this again, right? And that's just over a quarter. So you have a 25% chance of drafting an absolute star quarterback, a 55% chance of drafting a decent starting quarterback, and then a 45% chance of drafting a bust. And ultimately, this is just how the NFL works. So once again, if you're Indianapolis, Houston, Washington, Carolina, New Orleans, or Seattle, no matter where you're at in the first round, take a quarterback. Because at the end of the day, we can sit here and we can say that we know, but ultimately we don't. So, take a quarterback, take the big swing, see if he can play. Okay. And then, most importantly, hire a coach who is going to play to that quarterback's strengths, right? Like when we look at guys like Jalen Hurts and Tua and Josh Allen and Daniel Jones now, they all have coaches who have created offenses that play to their strengths. Okay, and part of the reason why I think we're seeing more quarterbacks who make it now as as at least like decent quarterbacks, like capable of man, of like playing in the NFL, capable of being your starting quarterback, not necessarily a star, but they're capable. The reason why we're seeing more of these is simply because we have coaches now who are creating offenses that play to their quarterback's strengths, right? When we look at Ryan Tannehill, he's in Tennessee now. Coach Vrabel has done a really good job of putting him in a system where he can excel. Same thing with Tua. Mike McDaniel gets brought in. He creates a system that complements what Tua does well. When we look at Brian Dable, who went up to New York, right? he's created a system that complements what Daniel Jones does well. When he was in Buffalo, he created a system that complements what Josh Allen does well. Uh, Nick Sirianni in, in Philadelphia, he's created a system for Jalen Hurts that complements what Jalen Hurts does well. And ultimately, I think that's the major key to hitting on quarterbacks is to hire offensive-minded head coaches who know and understand how to bring the best out of their young quarterbacks. So, once again, Indianapolis, Houston, Washington, Carolina, New Orleans, Seattle. No matter where you're at in the first round this year, draft a quarterback, whether you're in love with them or not, because at the end of the day, you don't know, you may end up drafting a stud. We'll see. So we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk one of the biggest surprises of the NBA season thus far. Really excited to get into it. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back with more Shooting the Schmidt. And we're back, breaking down one of the biggest surprises of the NBA season this far. And that big surprise is indeed the Indiana Pacers being here in Indianapolis, just being able to see just a lot of what's going on with them, man. They're a lot of fun. 12-9 right now. They got thumped by by the Kings last night, but Halliburton didn't play well. They're going to be fine. So, like I said, Indiana Pacers, one of the biggest surprises of this NBA season. Part of that is Rick Rick Carlisle. Rick Carlisle, one of the best head coaches in the NBA. This is a guy who just consistently seems to figure it out. Um, He doesn't get nearly the respect that he deserves. Like I said, one of the best coaches in the NBA, and we've seen it time and time again. We saw it in 2011 when he outcoached Eric Spolstra. And the Mavericks won the title. We saw it time and time again when he was in Dallas, given just these really weird groupings of talent, and yet he would figure it out, and they would make the playoffs. I mean, he's just a really good coach. He's been very consistent throughout his entire career, and he's he's done a great job so far here in Indiana. Part of this also is Tyrese Halliburton, he's just, he's improved But even if he hadn't improved, I still think that the success would be the same because he is the exact blueprint of what you want to run your offense in the NBA. Tall, long, so there's projectability there in terms of his ability to play defense. But offensively, he just sees the floor so well. He doesn't turn the ball over. He's great at getting his teammates involved. He's averaging over 11 assists a game right now, averaging somewhere around 20 points per game as well, leading the league in assists. I mean... He's exactly what you want in your NBA point guard, a guy who is more than capable of scoring his shot off the dribble this year. I think has improved his ability just to get open in one-on-one scenarios and create his own shot has improved pretty drastically from last year to this year. He's been just an absolute joy to watch. One of my favorite players in the league right now. Another part of this is miles Turner is having the best year of his career. All of his major stats are up. Okay. He's currently posting career highs in points. At 17 points a game, his career high before this was 14. Um, in field goal percentage, he's 52 percent. Three point percentage, he's 38 percent from from three, which is huge. We can have a big defensive presence like that. Be a real asset offensively, right? His ability to step out on the perimeter and knock down open threes has been huge for them. The defense hasn't dropped off at all, even though the offense has taken a step up. He's also averaging his career high in rebounds at eight rebounds a game. He's just He's been really impressive, and I think a lot of this comes back to Rick Carlisle doing a really good job of putting his better players in good positions to succeed. And finally, when you throw in the fact that you hit on your first-round draft pick in a major way, major way, it just makes everything easier. And Benedict Matherin has been awesome this year, and he is a large reason, I think, why this Pacers team is so good. And he's really who I want to talk about here. First of all, his name is no longer Benedict Matherin, it's Benedict Mather-Him, because he is him, okay? I'm, I'm coining that nickname for him right now. When people start calling him that, come back here to shooting the Schmidt, I'm the first one who came up with it. Anyway, Benedict Mather-Him is having an elite rookie season. He's averaging just over 19 points a game. That leads all rookies, and it also leads all other NBA players that come off the bench. Okay, there is a legit possibility here where he wins both six man of the year and rookie of the year. It would be the first time anybody's ever done that. He's been really, really good. Okay, he's lethal from three. He's shooting the ball at such a high clip, shooting 40% from deep. And I think my favorite thing about him, though, is his intensity. He is just absolutely locked in. Okay, and sometimes whenever you're drafting players, look it's an interview right that whole entire draft process is you're trying to come off as impressive as possible just like you do whenever you're walking in to like to, to an interview right for a job that you want because that's ultimately what this is for this guy for these guys right playing in the nba it's a job that they want so they're going to be as impressive as possible they're going to give you all the right answers they're going to say hey do you love basketball and then you're going to say yes i love basketball i eat breathe and sleep basketball even though that may or may not be true right and so with Mathurin, one of the biggest things is you can tell this guy loves basketball. He is so intense. He is so competitive. And that is hands down my favorite attribute about him. Okay, you can tell by the way that he plays defense, that he really truly cares. And look, that isn't like a given with everybody. Okay. Like some guys come into the league and it's just like another thing for them. Like this is this is a hobby. You know, that's kind of how they view basketball. It's something that they were always good at growing up. And so they kept playing, you know, it it got them to school. And all of a sudden it opens this door for them to make, you know, millions and millions of dollars. And then they get matched up with these guys who are just as talented as they are, but who really love the game and are constantly putting in work. And then the next thing you know, you're out of the league. And that is something that you don't have to worry about with Matherin. Like, you can tell this guy really loves basketball and that he is fully invested in his career and in this team. And I'm very excited for him to eventually become a starter. It's going to be interesting to see what the Pacers do at the trade deadline. Will they keep Turner and Heald? Like, how is all that really going to work out? But yeah, this Pacers team, they've been a lot of fun to watch. Miles Turner having the best year of his career. Tyrese Halliburton, man. If you aren't watching the Pacers play basketball, Go by a league pass just to watch them play basketball. They are so much fun. They shoot the ball really well from deep. On top of this, you know they're they first round draft pick from last from last year, and Chris Duarte, he's been out for like half the year. Okay, he's going to be out for a little bit longer as well with with an injury. But when he comes back, they're going to be even better. They're going to be even deeper at guard. And I think my favorite thing about their guards, and I've I've talked about this before, it's been a while, is they have three guys. Who can either initiate the offense or play off the ball? Tyrese Halliburton is shooting, I believe, forty-four percent from three this year on catch and shoot threes. That's an extremely high clip. That is insanely high. Obviously, I talked about Mathorn and his ability. You know, he's been playing off the ball all year this year, but we talked about his ability, you know, to shoot from deep. Chris Duarte, he's believe he's shooting around thirty-nine percent from three right now. So they've got three guys who can initiate the offense, who possess the ability to go one on one, get downhill, and create opportunities for others. Meanwhile, They also have the ability to play off the ball. And so you're able to just kind of rotate all three guards and you can initiate the offense from anywhere on the floor, which I think makes things even easier for Rick Carlisle in terms of his ability to get guys like Miles Turner and Isaiah Jackson and Jalen Smith and these other more kind of role players who need to rely on Halliburton Duarte and Matherin to initiate offense. It makes it even easier for him to set those other guys up. So it's a lot of fun to watch. It is the total opposite Of the Dallas Mavericks and the way that they play basketball Whereas it's just give Luca the ball And everyone get out of the way He'll kick it to you if you're open right? This is a team that moves the basketball really well A lot of screens They're just a lot of fun to watch Once again, watch this team play basketball They are extremely talented And extremely fun to watch So we're going to take another short break When we come back, we're going to get into some college football The final Regular season college football playoff rankings came out going to be good. You know, we're going to discuss all the different scenarios based on who wins and who loses on this conference championship weekend. So, we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back with more shooting the schmidt. We're back with more shooting the schmidt here getting into college football. The top 6 from the College Football Playoff Committee's final regular season rankings is what I think everybody really expected. This is what I said on Tuesday. This is what I said it would be. Top 6 Georgia at 1, Michigan at 2, TCU at 3, USC at 4, Ohio State at 5, Bama at 6. Makes sense. I don't entirely agree with it, but it's fine. This is what makes the most sense. This is what is going to prevent the college football playoff committee from losing their jobs. So, makes sense. That's your top six. Then, 7 through 12, Tennessee at 7. Yes, they should be ranked behind Alabama. Saw a thing on Twitter. Well, they were like, well, Tennessee beat Alabama. shouldn't matter that Hendon Hooker isn't plank. Yes, it does. Hendon Hooker is a large part of why they beat Alabama. Now he's not there. If Alabama played Tennessee today, Alabama would win simply because Hendon Hooker isn't there. Moving on. Tennessee at 7. Penn State at 8. Clemson at 9 is absolutely ridiculous. Give me one second and we're going to come back to that. Kansas State at 10. Utah at 11. Washington at 12. Now, the fact that Clemson only dropped one spot after losing to an unranked South Carolina team at home is absolutely ridiculous. They should have dropped outside of the top 15. I don't know why Clemson is ranked in the top 10. They aren't, like, they're vastly overrated this year. They are extremely overrated. They are not that good. The fact that they're still in the top 10 is sickening, and it's, it's ridiculous. Outside of that, I don't... Agree with everything else, but at the same time, I don't have any major issues with it. Like I said, most of these rankings make a lot of sense outside of Clemson being ranked at nine. So now we get to play through the what-if game. We get to play through all the different scenarios of what's going to happen based on who wins and who loses and things like that. Obviously, if the top four win, they're all in. Really simple. Um, if Georgia or Michigan lose, I still think that they stay in. Okay, they've both got they both have signature wins and they've dominated everybody that they've played all year. Okay, they're both locks win or lose, like Georgia, like their signature win is is beating, you know, Tennessee, right? And they dominated Tennessee. Michigan's signature win, the win over Ohio State, and they dominated Ohio State, right? So they have these big dominant wins over really good teams, right? So ultimately, win or lose, I think Georgia and Michigan both stay where both stay within the top 4. Now, we move on to TCU. And this is really where things get interesting, right? Because the question is, will the committee drop them out of the top four if they lose to Kansas State? I think that they should because I just very simply don't think that TCU is one of the four best teams in the country. You know, if you've been listening to me for the past several weeks, you know that. But will the committee punish them for losing their conference championship game whereas teams like Ohio State and Alabama didn't even get to play for their conference championship? Are they going to punish TCU for playing an extra game that they qualified for because they went 12-0. And the answer is I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. I know what I think they should do. I think that they get blown out by Kansas State. I think if Kansas State, you know, shows up and they beat TCU by two plus touchdowns, I think TCU should be dropped. Simple as that. But let's say Kansas State goes in there. It's a really good game. Kansas kicks, you know, or Kansas State, excuse me you know, kicks a game-winning field goal, right, as as time expires, or Kansas State beats them in overtime, right? If something like that happens, then I think that they stay in, right? Because I understand that the College Football Playoff Committee can't or doesn't need necessarily to punish a team for qualifying for their conference championship game. So, like I said, um, if TCU gets blown out, I think they get dropped out. If they lose, but it's really close, I think that they will be left in. Now, USC is really simple. USC has to win. It's really that simple, right? Not very complicated. And then here's where things get interesting, right? If USC loses, who claims that fourth spot? And I think it's going to be Ohio State. You know, The committee told us last week by ranking Ohio State fifth and Alabama sixth that they think Ohio State is better than Alabama. They're wrong. But that's fine. I understand it. They're 11-1. and 1. Their one loss is to a really good Michigan team. They have a win over Penn State, who I guess is good, even though Penn State's best win is against Purdue, who's 8-4. and 4. That's beside the point. Um, so, yeah, that's what I believe they'll do. But now here's where things get really interesting. So let's say I'm right. Let's say that it's going to take TCU being blown out in order for them to drop. So let's say Kansas State rolls up in there, and they beat TCU 45-7. to 7. That won't happen. That's a little. That's very over the top. But you, you're you're catching my drift. TCU gets blown out by Kansas State, and USC loses to Utah for the second time. Does that mean that we're only gonna have two teams represented, or excuse me, two conferences represented in the college football playoff? Is that not like extremely problematic? Because I remember when people were really upset when there were only three conferences being represented because Alabama and Georgia were both in it. Now imagine it's only the Big Ten and the SEC. I mean, this is could potentially ruffle a lot of feathers. Ultimately, I don't have a problem with it because I think that if USC and, you know, if USC loses and TCU gets blown out and, like, it creates this pathway where it's pretty obvious that Georgia, Michigan, Alabama, Ohio State are the four best teams, and those are the four teams who should be in. Simple as that. The four best teams should be in. I've been saying that from the beginning. And I wouldn't have a problem with it. I wouldn't, you know, you may be like, well, Jonathan, like you're an SEC guy. Sure. You can say that, but everybody hates Alabama. Okay. And everybody hates Ohio state and everybody hates Michigan. Ultimately it's about finding the four best teams. And so if USC loses and TCU gets blown out and there's only two conferences represented in the college football playoff, Twitter's going to be a very fun place for people like me just to watch all these people get really upset that there's no big 12 team. And there's no, you know, ACC team, and there's no Pac-12 team. Well, if you want, if you want to have a team from your conference, you know, in the College Football Playoff, then the best team from your conference needs to win all their games. Simple as that. So, what then becomes interesting is how do they rank the teams, right? So, let's say TCU gets blown out, Ohio State loses, or excuse me, USC loses. Do they put Alabama in front of Ohio State? At three, that way we get Michigan, Alabama, and Georgia, Ohio, Georgia, Ohio State. Because we don't want a rematch of Ohio State, Michigan, so quickly. It'll be interesting to just kind of see how all that works out. But ultimately, look if the if the final four is indeed Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, and Michigan, I wouldn't have a problem with it. The final four is you know the current four that they have now. Would I like it? No, but ultimately, like if TCU goes goes thirteen to zero, it's really hard to argue against them. Making the playoff even though I think everybody knows that they're not one of the four best teams right they're very similar to the Titans where you sit back and you watch the Titans play and you're like you're clearly not like one of the like you're like you're clearly not a Super Bowl contender but you win a lot of games that's kind of where TCU is right and it's really hard to argue when teams consistently win their games no matter how they look on on or off the field right so yeah either way I, I think we're set up for a pretty good pretty interesting college football playoff. Um, I'm a huge Kansas State fan this weekend <laughs> because, let's be honest, TCU just isn't on the same level as all these other teams. So that's going to do it here at Shooting the Schmidt. Uh, I-, I hope you enjoyed it. I will be back again on Tuesday with another podcast for you all. Don't forget to you know follow, like, subscribe, do all that kind of stuff. So once again, hope you enjoyed it. Hope you have a good weekend. Coming back Tuesday with some more heat. Can't wait to talk to you. So I will talk to you again on Tuesday.